the focus of my work is increasingly shifting to this idea of trying to understand and deconstruct what is the future of work? What is all of this transformation ultimately is leading to, in my opinion, this, this transformation of work itself? And what does that look like? Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. Transformation, digital transformation, digital disruption, whatever you want to call it, the world around us is changing at a frenetic pace. This change is impacting the way we live our lives and impacting the way we do our work. It is beginning to impact our work itself. In his book, The Future of Work, Dr. Thomas Malone describes the impact of hyperconnectedness and the plummeting costs of communication and what that's doing to our traditional hierarchical organizational structures that we've been using in companies for over 75 years. In the 15 years since that book's release, a new force has entered the workplace, AI. Think your job is safe from automation? Think again. In a headline that reads like one from The Onion, Warner Music Group just signed an algorithm to a 20-album music deal. Our guest today has been writing and speaking about the future of information technology since publishing his first book, The Quantum Age of IT, in 2012. Charlie Araujo is also the founder of the Institute for Digital Transformation, an organization dedicated to helping business leaders navigate the complexities of this new digital reality. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Oh, I'm so excited to be here with you, Jeff. It's uh, going to be a great conversation. Charlie, I, I love the about page on your website. That is so you. To our listeners, if you want to get to know Charlie, I encourage you to go to his website, www.charlieorajo.com, and read that page. On that page, after describing your mission, to help us see what is happening and to help us and our organizations to find a path into this future that will allow us to thrive, you raise the question, why are you qualified to do so? So let's start there with your story. Give us a brief uh, introduction to yourself, Charlie. Yeah. I, yeah. So first of all, the website is charlesarajo.com. Like you, I use my formal name when, you know, sorry that about stuff. that. <laughs> I know, but I'm Charlie, you know, I know. In fact, that's how the, the thing opens and it is a, it is a long kind of messy story. So I, I will not go into it in too much great depth here, but I, I would love for, you know, everyone to go and take a look and, uh, and read the full thing. But, but the nut of it is this, is, is I'm at my core an IT guy. I mean, I, I, I joke that my career started when I was 10, if a 10 year old can have a career when I got my first Commodore 64 and a screwdriver and started just <laughs> being completely um, in love, becoming in love with this idea of technology. But what's interesting about this whole journey for me is that that I came to realize that actually my greatest strength wasn't in the technology itself. If you're a true technologist, I guarantee you, you'll run circles around me in, in those domains. But my, my great skill was kind of the ability to connect the dots of, of being able to see yeah. the big picture and where technology fit into that. And so it's led me on this really kind of wild ride. I, I ran technical operations for about a billion dollar healthcare firm some 20 some odd years ago. 
And then I've really spent my career since advising enterprise executives on what I'll call the transformative journey, although that took a lot of forms. It started very technically um, at the beginning. So I bought a data center build, network migrations and stuff like that. But I spent most of that time on things like organizational design, operational optimization, process improvement. And I started focusing on IT transformation about like eight, nine years ago now. I mean, I'm starting to lose track, but I saw that the, the world of IT was changing and that IT leaders in particular were struggling to adapt. And that's what actually led to my first book. And it was called The Quantum Age of IT, Why Everything You Know About IT Is About to Change. And it was really about just trying to identify these issues and challenges that IT leaders were facing and that they might not be seeing. Um, so the great irony of that is it actually changed my personal career and my personal trajectory. I was mostly a consultant at that point, and I suddenly started getting these invitations to speak all over the world about the future of IT and what it meant to be a leader in that future that it led about, I guess it's about four and a half now years ago to a speaking tour in New Zealand. And one of the events I was speaking at was something called the Digital Disruption Conference. I think it actually has a bigger name than that, but that's what I call it anyway. <laughs> and it was it was hosted by the Auckland University of Technology and the U.S. Embassy. And it was really about promoting commerce and business in New Zealand and, and, and understanding the impact of technology. And so what was really unique for me at the time is that it was a non-IT audience. And so it caused me to step back and ask, well, wait a minute, how are all these forces that are I've been talking about affecting IT, how are they affecting the broader world outside of IT? And so that's what led me to focus on digital transformation. Um, it led to the founding of the Institute, um, all that kind of stuff. But at the time, it, was, it wasn't this, you know, this, oh, it's all about the buzzword. It was really just this much more fundamental recognition that the, the industrial age was coming to an end. And in fact, maybe it already had ended and that we are entering this new time that I call the digital era, but that it was a time in which the fundamental ways that organizations are structured, managed, and led are in fact changing, changing from the way that we've often done things for sometimes hundreds of years. And that while it was underpinned by technology, it was really about this business transformation that was occurring. And so that's been what I've been working on for the last uh, four years. So it started with that first book. I've written a couple books since. And as I know you want to talk about, I, I've got some new ideas as this has kind of continually progressed and matured in my head. But but that's kind of my story. And and so I think the um, the interesting part of it is it's all pivoted around me constantly thinking about how is this affecting you know, organizational enterprise leaders, because it's always been kind of my, my mindset, and how do they make sense of all of this? So that's me. I think one of the things, not to pick out probably the, the smallest item in that, but this Commodore 64 thing, <laughs> I, I, have, I am amazed at, at the IT leaders that I talk to today, that their first computer was a Commodore 64. I'm going to have to do some research into that or something at some point because it just jumps out all the time. But well, yeah, I mean, it was it was the I mean, not to get on this tangent, but it was the Commodore 64, <laughs> the what was it, the Apple II? I forgot. There were uh -huh. just a, a very small handful of of consumer grade. It was the first. Really, it, what's what's interesting is I actually don't talk about this in my first book, but one of the themes of my first book is this idea of the consumerization of IT. This idea yeah, that is yeah. personal technology or consumer based technology started transforming the way we look at at how technology is applied in the enterprise, that actually, I would argue, dates back to that, right? Dates back right. to the very first IBM computers, the first Commodore 64s, the first Apples, because suddenly people had these devices in their home and it started changing the way they thought of it. I mean, I could tell stories forever about my experiences with the Commodore 64 oh, and yeah, some yeah, of the crazy yeah. things I did. It's just, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so you touched on this uh, in your introduction, but I, I want to jump into a recent article that you wrote. I read it from uh, your website, but I think it's also on CIO.com. And that's that article, the future of work in the digital era may not be what you think. And in that, you describe a trap that befalls us when we try to predict the future. And you and I kind of both being uh, futurists, so to speak, uh, talk to us a little bit about that trap and why it's important to keep that in mind in the digital era. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I write uh, I write a, well, it's supposed to be a weekly column or whatever you want to call it for CIO.com. And I'm not quite as consistent as I should be. But yeah, I would love for <laughs> everyone to go check out my uh, my articles on CIO. Um, it's sort of the place that I, I, uh, I kind of, I don't want to say wax philosophical, but I kind of look at the major trends and what's going on. And, and this has been, you know, I alluded to the fact that my work has shifted a bit. Well, my, the focus of my work is increasingly shifting to this idea of trying to understand and deconstruct what is the future of work? What is all of this transformation ultimately is leading to, in my opinion, this, this transformation of work itself? And what does that look like? And, and this trap that you're talking about, you know, actually goes back a long way. I wrote about it in my first book, but this trap is this idea that we are limited by our current reality, by our current perspective. In my first book, I referenced something called the curse of knowledge, and it goes back to a Stanford researcher that that talked about this idea that once you know something, it's really hard to unknow that, and and that causes a lot of issues. But one of which is the lack of imagination. You you see the world through the prism that you know, and you have trouble imagining something beyond that. You know, so you're right. I have been called a futurist. I don't often refer to myself that way, <laughs> um, mostly because it's like, I don't know the future. I actually, I talk about right, this right. from stage a lot that people started calling me a futurist and I started freaking out. It's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. I, you know, I don't know what the future holds. Don't, don't put that on me. But I, it, where I came to um, in my, in my speech, in my speeches and in just kind of my thought process is this idea that being a futurist isn't about knowing the future. Being a futurist is about being in a constant state of exploration about the future. Yeah. And and so the yeah. trap when we are trying to imagine the future of work is that our natural inclination, if we don't apply anything else to it, is that we will simply look through the prism and this almost linear progression of, well, this is what I do today and therefore this is how it's going to naturally progress. And we often miss the, the much more fundamental shifts that are occurring because they are just so hard to imagine. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that your job is to figure that out. What I'm suggesting that is if you start looking forward into the future work, that you have to start with the assumption that you really have no idea. idea. And so you have yeah. to prepare yeah. yourself for an uncertain future, prepare yourself for a world that's not going to look anything like what you are used to or accustomed to. And so how can you do that? What are the characteristics and capabilities that you need to build and foster so that you'll be able to respond and react as the world throws whatever it's going to throw at us. Yeah, that reminds me of, um, there's a conference that I love to attend, the MIT uh, CIO Symposium that they, that they hold every year. And one of the things I love about that conference is that they are looking to the future. And I can remember having a conversation with uh, someone after the day-long conference and they made the statement, well, gosh, I didn't get anything out of this. I don't, I don't see anything here that is going to change what I do tomorrow when I go back to work. And it's like, oh my God, they're not talking about what you're going to be doing tomorrow. They're going to be, they're talking about what you're going to be doing three years from now, five years from now. Uh, having that future mentality is so important. How do you begin to help IT leaders open themselves up 
to having that look to the future? Yeah, you know, it, it is. I think it particularly for IT people, at least on a certain level, it's it's very challenging. But but I would argue it's it's only challenging because of the bounds that organizationally we've put on ourselves and, and personally as we that we put on ourselves um, in, in that, you know, we're if you think about the way most of IT works, it's, it's very structured, very orderly. It's, it's very controlled and managed. You know, we, we, we set up PMOs, we, we adopt frameworks that are all about structure and process management. And, you know, we do all of these things. And so in that context, it is natural that you start thinking linearly and you, that you're looking at it from that perspective. But here's another interesting fact. And, and this is, it becomes less true as you move up to management ranks, which is an interesting finding. <laughs> but one of my speeches, I talk about unleashing creativity. And I often would ask a question of the audience, um, and if I had IT audiences, you know, how many here have some kind of, a, of an artistic endeavor? You play an instrument, you write poetry, yeah. you, you write fiction, you, you do something that is creative and artistic. And shockingly, I'd say it's about 80, 85% of people in IT, most of which is music, most of them play an instrument. And there is this yeah. huge creative underpinning to people that are also driven to technology. And so my, my big statement is unleash that. Just go and harness that because there is this latent creativity that, frankly, most people in IT you know, leave at home. They put it in a drawer and then they put yeah. on their clothes yeah. and they go to work and they forget about it. And I think that the nature of being able to explore the future is an exercise in creativity. It's about what if, how could... Right. And, and not judging it, not putting any boundaries on it. And then the question is, is not, am I right? The question is, if that were to happen, what will I need to look like as an employee or as a, as a human to be able to be valuable, to create value in that world, right? If the world looks that way and then to keep playing that out. And what you start then finding are a set of characteristics um, that that become that start rising to the top that are going to be the things that add value in the future. Yeah, so I don't know that uh, it would come as a surprise to you or, or our listeners, but I'm a fan of your work. <laughs> it began with my reading of your book, The Quantum Age of IT. But I got to tell you, it started off with, okay, who is this guy? Because you start with this provocative line about IT as we know it is dead. So explain to our listeners what you meant by that and uh, how you take that from where that starts through that book of how do you lead into the future? Yeah, you know, it's um, someone pointed out to me the other day that that, that book was published was it in 2012 now, right? So it's been, yeah. it's been seven years or almost seven years. And it's um, it's shocking. What One of the things I think is interesting is that almost everything that I, and I hate to use the term predicted, but that I sort of was foreseeing has in fact come true. Um, and, and look, clearly the line IT as we know it is dead was meant to be provocative. It was meant, yep, it, was, it was meant to get the, the reader's attention. <laughs> um, obviously IT organizations still exist. I have no doubt that they will continue to exist long into the future. But the big message was that the way we've thought about the function of IT was about to change in a permanent fashion that, that, and that if you didn't change, and probably this is the bigger point, that if you didn't change the way you as an IT professional looked at the function of IT and your role within an IT organization, that if you didn't transform that, if you didn't fundamentally be open to that shifting, that you were going to get left behind because the, the fundamental drivers of, of how IT creates value for the organization were shifting. And, and we spend the entire time talking just about kind of the core principles of the book. 
but basically it, what it boiled down to, there were kind of three major elements, so to speak, right? The, the first is this idea of the consumerization of IT, like I talked about the fact that, that as consumer grade technologies had become so advanced that it left IT's consumers within the business, right? IT's customers going, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Why do I have better tech at home than I do when I come to work, right? And it created this kind yeah, of innate yeah. pressure. Um, and then the second one was this idea that, um, that this technology was now had moved from a critic, I called it the criticality of IT, that that when you know you and I grew up in IT, IT was all about back office. It was all about driving optimization and efficiency into these manual processes. And you know, I tell a story that when I was in healthcare and I went to the admitting department on this tour, they had all these downtime forms and most people don't even know what those are anymore, but it was when the <laughs> systems went down, you would be able to record all the information so you could still admit a patient to the hospital. And the, the admitting department manager explained to me that, you know, she left them out because the systems were failing all the time. Why bother putting them away? And that was like really hard to hear. But the point is she, she didn't really, she wasn't really that upset about it because it, it was an inconvenience, but it didn't actually affect anything right. today. And this started, you know, 10 years ago, the criticality of IT is these systems moved to the front office. Now, when systems went down, I mean, it was catastrophic. And it's, right, it's becoming right. even more catastrophic. And so, so that kind of created it again, an additional pressure. And then the last one was this idea of, of the cloud and software as a service, you know, really the competition for IT as I called it at the time, but this idea that, um, and you know, we would now know this is shadow IT, but this, this idea that suddenly the IT's customers could had other options. They could go elsewhere. They didn't have to go to IT to meet their technology needs. And so the basic premise of the book was that those three forces were combining to just fundamentally transition what it was going to mean to be in IT. And I think we've seen all of that entirely play out. Absolutely. And, and I think that every, you know, most of the CIOs anyway, that, that I interact with on a, on a day-to-day -day basis that I talk to, this is, it's actually been quite fun to have how many people have, you know, whether they've read my book or not, have, have basically parroted this term to me. Well, you know, Charlie, IT as we know it is dead or IT is dead. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's kind of funny, but it's it's become, I, you know, this was a very controversial statement, not, you know, seven years ago. Today, I don't have to defend it at all. Right, right, right. And, and we're still seeing that uh, um, some of the IT leaders out there are still kind of clinging to that past and they haven't opened their eyes to that new future. And that's why I think it's so important for messages such as yours through this podcast and through your writing to talk to these leaders about, it's not as scary as it seems sometimes uh, to do this. Right. And you've got to evolve or you're going to die. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's really what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it is. I mean, in, in fairness, so I actually, it's funny. Um, I just sat in on a book club, a, an organization in South Carolina has um, a good chunk of their IT organization reading that book, right? That's now seven years old and uh -huh. is, is getting together every week and talking through. And, and I would argue, while all this is largely proven true, this, the book is still relevant because it this is not a one-time deal. It's a continuous right. battle. And, and in fairness to, you know, I, I joke that I, I would have a hard time being, you know, going back and being a CIO today or running an IT organization because it, it's hard work. You know, it is. I mean, and yep. it's getting harder, harder and harder every day. And, and, you know, in their in their defense, it's a really it's a I would say it's a daily challenge to break out of that mindset because you're living with so much of, you know, we call it technical debt. But but all of this history, the, these historical you have to deal with that environment. You can't just, you know, wash your hands and walk away from it. 
you have to deal with this and figure out how I, I, I joke that it's a, like transforming from a bomber into a fighter jet while in midair. And, right. and it, it's a, it's a significant challenge. And so I think that, you know, my biggest advice to anyone is just stick with it. You got to keep at this. It's, and, and in fact, it's one of my complaints about digital transformation that people talk about it. Like it's a project, like it's something you, you start today and you finish three weeks from now and you're done. And it's yeah. not, yeah. it's this idea of continuous change and evolution. Well, and, and as you talked to at the beginning, it's because we've we've left the industrial age behind and now we're in this this new digital era, the way we are working is changing. And so you can't do a, a single project uh, and say, okay, we're done. We digitally transformed. It's that new mindset. It, it's almost bringing uh, agile methodology into the way you think Ab- and the absolutely. way you plan and the way you have to run your business. Yeah, no, there, there's no question about that. In fact, the, the the big thing that has shifted since I wrote that first book seven years ago and now is that the pace of change, I mean, almost shockingly has increased. The rate yeah. of new technologies that are bombarding the market um, and certainly if you're the, if you're a, you know, an IT leader, you're just being blasted like a fire hose with this onslaught. I call it the tsunami of new technology. And, right. and it's, it's, it's ridiculous to try to make sense of it. Now it's, it's incredibly powerful and it's, there's a, an amazing opportunity in front of, I'm an IT leader. I think there's not a better time in the history since, you know, in both, not only my personal experience, but in the research, when I went back to the beginning of IT as a function, I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time to be in IT because of all of I this. I totally agree. But it's also much more complex, right? It's a lot harder to make sense. And you you can't coast through this. You can't just, you know, and, and that I think is the big difference of, you know, if you go back a decade ago, you know, it was sort of business as usual. IT was not a very dynamic thing. You just kind of, yeah, there were new new upgrades yep. or new whatever, but it, you know, you get kind of coast through. Now, if you fail at your job as an IT leader, you're almost guaranteeing your organization is going to, if not fail in the market, completely struggle. And and we yep. see this over and over and over again. So the stakes have gotten really high. And if there's, if there's one transition that I don't think IT leaders have fully made is truly embracing that and owning that and recognizing just how critical they are to the success of their organizations. And, and, you know, in fairness, sometimes the organizations are slow or still, you know, having trouble grasping that, but it is, it is to me, absolutely critical and essential now. Well, and, and because of this pace of change, a single individual or a single department can't know it all. Right. right? And uh, I know we talked before we hit record about your mini book, The Ecosystem Advantage, but that's really what you're talking about in that book is you need to surround yourself with this digital ecosystem because you can't keep up with everything that's going on. So I think for our audience out there, if you want to grab a, a great short read, I encourage you to, to pick up The Ecosystem Advantage from Charlie. Uh, because it really talks about how do you put this together and why do you need to do it in the first place because of this rapid pace of change. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I mean, there, there's no question about it. I think that you know, it's it's not only can nobody know this anymore, which is why we're seeing the evolution of things like AI ops and you know a bunch of other technologies that are helping organizations try to manage this this massive ocean of technology and try to keep some sense of 
of control and order around it. But the the probably the bigger issue here, and when you talk about these idea of digital ecosystems, and, and actually in the book I address with just one aspect, I actually think about digital ecosystems more holistically and across a vertical enterprise stack, meaning that you have the back end, which is really what the the book was dealing with, but you you've got to have these digital ecosystems extending all the way up. Um, into, into the operational state of the enterprise. But the big message here is no organization, uh, again, unlike in the past where your systems were predominantly internally facing, running internal processes, and that they were captive. As we look forward, the in order to drive value through your technology investments, it's all about connecting with others. And that's everything from connecting with your customers, and in some cases, their customers' customers, um, your partners, your delivery mechanisms. You've got all of these different pieces because you can't, the, the amount of technology that has to be brought together and synthesized to, to deliver and create value is just too vast. And so the focus for, and so it's really about building this idea of a capability is how do you then build that in a way that it's sustainable and, and scalable? And, and that's really the idea behind the uh, ecosystems. Which is a great segue into, I, I want to talk about your latest project that you're working on. And I, I had to kind of smile to myself over the weekend. I don't know if you watched much of the NCAA basketball tournament, but I'm, I'm one of those folks that spend uh, four days sitting on a couch watching every game every second, which means I also watch every commercial. <laughs> uh, and and I can't remember the uh, the ad agency would kill me because I can't remember the product. But there's a there's a commercial where these folks are sitting in a restaurant and this guy is waxing philosophically about robots need you still need personality you still need people and the robot is getting its feelings hurt in the commercial and I was <laughs> laughing about that because I was preparing for our conversation today uh, because you write about uh, in your new project the new human age you challenge us to be more than digital and embrace our humanness so talk to us a little bit about why you feel that way today and and what we can do to embrace our humanness yeah, this is um, it's a it's a big meaty subject, which is uh, why I am writing uh, my fourth book on it. But it's and it's also kind of hard, on frankly, even for myself to kind of get my head around. But but what led me to this was the and I'm going to take a half step back if if you don't mind and kind sure, of sure. it's, it's the foundation for it. So if we go back to my big realization four and a half years ago or whatever that that we are exiting the industrial age and entering the digital era, the the next step of that thinking then was, well, what does that look like, right? In addition to the quote unquote digital transformation stuff, right? And, and this is part of my criticism, in fact, of how some people approach digital transformation. What does that really mean? Well, I think what it really means is that in the industrial age, we created business value by optimizing the core, as I call it, or optimizing the supply chain, right? It was all about delivering a mass product to a mass market. And so therefore, the objective was to how do you optimize that process? And as you optimize that process, you reduce cost and therefore created value. And it was a fairly simple process that just got refined, but that was it. If we now shift to this digital era, then you have to ask yourself, well, what makes this fundamentally different? And I think the, the fundamental difference is that the driver of business value in the digital era is in fact not the optimization of that supply chain or that core, but it's actually the optimization of the customer experience. And as my proof point of this, as I look at um, Walmart, right, first of all, built its entire business basically on this idea of the optimized supply chain. And then you, you've seen them being completely challenged. They should have been unassailable. They had just a completely world-class 
best in the world supply chain. Nobody should have right. been able to touch them. But Amazon is now a massive threat. And in fact, you could, you know, I would probably make the argument they have now beaten Walmart as an example in this. And Walmart certainly fighting back. But but why is it because Amazon built a better supply chain? No, they too have a world-class supply chain, but they were able to optimize the customer experience. People, it, it made it easier to shop with them. You liked the experience right. better, and so you made that decision. And so if if that becomes a shift to the driver of value, then, then what you start seeing is that it actually transforms everything behind it. So it, trans, it creates the, the transformation of business models, which leads to the transformation of operational models, which therefore leads to the transformation of the employee experience or the work experience, which then I believe leads ultimately to a reimagining of the nature of work itself. And so that's kind of this whole pipeline that led me to start contemplating this. Well, if that's the case, then what happens? And where that led me was this kind of recognition that as all of this quote unquote digital transformation occurs, that we're going to reach this point, we're reaching this point, that anything we can reduce to an algorithm, we're going to automate. And that means yep, that yep. for if if you are working in anywhere in this the, as this process unfolds, then you have to shift how you create value because all the things that we do and and if you start, I've done it myself. How many things we do on a daily basis that are in fact routine that I can in fact reduce to an algorithm at some point? It's it's a whole lot, right? And and so oh yeah, th yeah. Th that's what led me to start thinking about this. Well, where was this going to go and where I landed? was that in fact the driver of value in the future as this process takes root and I think it's you know a decade or so that it's going to take then the things that are going to be of value are in fact our human characteristics like your robot with feelings <laughs> yeah <laughs> you you've taken a different approach to writing this book than uh, many others uh, before you talk to us a little bit about why you chose this approach and fundamentally why it ties back to exactly what you're writing about. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, I'm calling it my live book. Um, I'm not sure if I'm calling it experience or experiment, but if I don't say experiment, it should be because um, <laughs> that's exactly what this is. There, I do know there's a few people that on like the fiction side have done this. Yeah, you know, there's a bunch of reasons, you know, but probably first and foremost, because I want to get this information out there. Um, I want to be accountable to my audience about doing that, which frankly, I'm, I've been struggling with because I I'm wearing lots of hats and, and I haven't carved out enough time for this. But um, I'm incredibly passionate about this idea. And it does tie exactly to this, to this process of humanness. So so when I talk about the new human age, and about embracing your humanness, what I'm really talking about is embracing actually the things that are innate to us that the, the, this idea of being, you know, creativity and ingenuity and entrepreneurship and this act of creation. And so how do you start almost rediscovering it? Because I think the, the part of the industrial age legacy here is that as organizations were trying to create these repeatable processes, this, right, it was all about optimizing. Then what did right. they do? Right. You, you come in and take a job and you kind of throw all your creativity out the window. We don't want you to reimagine how to do this job. We want you to do these 1800 steps that we've laid out for yep. you yeah. and do them yeah. the same yeah. way every single day. And, and so we have been conditioned as a society really to check our creativity at the door unless you have been fortunate enough to be in a creative field, but that's not most of us. And so we've been conditioned to kind of check that at the door, leave it there. And, and, you know, that's why, you know, when I ask about musicians, there's all these musicians, but they you know, switch their brain off when, or they switch their brain rather when they come to work. And so this idea is how do you unleash that? How do you 
bring it. And I think it's an exercise. It's not about new knowledge. We all kind of innately know how to be creative, but we need to, to continually practice re-engaging that part of our brain, releasing it, being unafraid of the, the criticism and all that. And so part of the whole live book experience idea is to do this more dynamically is to, as, as I'm putting this out there to kind of live this creative experiential process with my readers and see what happens. So, you know, check in with me a year from now and I'll, we'll let you know if it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait to, to see it. Charlie, one of the ways that I, I love to wrap up these conversations is to ask the question, basically, what didn't I ask? What's a message that our audience needs to hear from you today that we didn't have a chance to talk about? Well, I, maybe it's a matter of reiterating um, a little bit here. I think the, the the challenge with sometimes this is that you know we cover a lot of ground. I have a lot of interest in in terms of kind of what I cover and what I write about, and it's easy in all of that to miss what I think is the magnitude of this change. Um, so if if you're listening and you're kind of like, what's the big takeaway? I think the big takeaway is this is the real deal, and I think particularly for IT people. It's easy to look at this and say, you know, I've been here, done that, seen this all before, you know, IT is all about constant change and to, to almost be a little bit, you know, cynical about this. And, yeah. and I think the big takeaway is you need to take this very, very seriously. I mean, in the short term, massive, massive change, you have to be adapting, you have to be leading your team forward in this, not allowing them to rest on their laurels of that this isn't, you know, that it, the way it's always been done. Um, is going to be how it continues to be uh, and, and and really shake that up. And then longer term, especially if you're a leader, an IT leader today, you need to start honestly looking at your landscape and saying, how much of this can we automate? And and part of that is going to be for the purposes of automating it, but it's also about preparing your teams for those people that are going to have to transition their skill sets and helping them build that out. And so, you know, I think that you need to really dive into this. We, we're barely scratching the surface um, you know, certainly my work is a part of that, but the World Economic Forum is doing some amazing stuff. There's a whole bunch of other authors that are covering this topic and you need to just just literally vacuum up everything you can and do your best to bring your team with you because their natural inclination is going to be to stay right where they are and you need to really help them break through that. Charlie, that's a fantastic way to leave our audience today. I, I think another underlying takeaway related to that is your comment about unleashing your creativity. Don't be afraid to do that. We are creative beings, and as IT leaders, we need to be creative about the future. I can't thank you enough, Charlie, for taking the time and, and talking with us today. It's been a fantastic opportunity to catch up with you. For our listeners out there, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and the proper link to Charlie's website, <laughs> uh, as well as contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Charlie Araujo. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.